0: And
1: now, The Low
0: Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast late on a Monday night. Another crappy all-star is in the books. And we have the rare post-all-star immediate news event. The Brooklyn Nets have fired Jock Vaughn one year after signing Jock Vaughn to a multi-year extension. After initially reportedly being interested in hiring Imei Udoka and then moving on to Jock Vaughn who was once the interim coach after they fired Kenny Atkinson, and then again after they fired Steve Nash, then got the real job. Now it doesn't have a job. A lot of coaches, a lot of drama for the Brooklyn Nets over the last really 10 years, a lot of strangeness, as much strangeness and weirdness and tumult and ups and downs as really any franchise other than the kings of NBA weird, the Philadelphia 76ers. And of course, these two teams circled each other. On the first James Harden trade, when the Rockets traded him into Brooklyn, completing for the Nets the big three that then logged 16 glorious games together over parts of two seasons, and then partnered directly in the second James Harden trade, sending him from the Nets to the Sixers. Of course, James Harden now no longer plays for either the Nets nor the Sixers. Tim Bontemps, how are you? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you doing? I'm good. I would assume this news was not a surprise to you.
2: Uh, I would say the timing was a slight surprise, but I would say the actual act, um, certainly having watched the Nets a lot over the past uh, past several weeks as they have careened off a cliff um, since the, the tanking of the game uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks back in December, not a shock that ultimately this decision was made, though it was a little bit of a shock that it happened at 10 o'clock this morning after getting home from Indy.
0: I have said on this podcast repeatedly over the last month to six weeks, something just doesn't smell right in Brooklyn. Something's fishy, something's rotten, and for the past two or three weeks, I've been checking in with people, hey, is something going to happen with Nets? the Nets coaching staff, Nets management, something? And I kept hearing like, "Yeah, hey, you know, keep your eye on it, keep your eye on something, and so... I I can't say I'm surprised The team is obviously, I mean, dreadful They're 21 and 33, they stink Um, And it's been interesting, Tim You don't even have to have, like The secret background conversations with agents And this person and that person The Nets players, one after another Have come out and showed you in their play And I'm talking mostly about Spencer Dinwiddie Who was, let's say, not super engaged During the latter part of his Nets tenure And in their words... And, like, Mikhail Bridges, after the 50-point drubbing in Boston, which will go down as the last and final game of Jacques Vaughn's tenure, Mikhail Bridges had, like, a five-minute soliloquy about, yeah, we don't really our, – our game plan is it's just sort of, like – I'm not going to paraphrase. It's just kind of like we're just not really doing anything out there. Um, and it's weird because the apparent discontent has been in, like, every corner of, um, of the locker room. Like, there's been a bunch of reports – post-firing about how there are a lot of players within the Nets who thought the offense was too egalitarian and unstructured and they wanted clarity. And I've been hearing that same stuff for six weeks. But then you had like Cam Thomas, who was the undisputed beneficiary of whatever lack of structure there was in Brooklyn, ended up in Cam Thomas's lap for as many shots as he could want. And yet he seemed unhappy with Jock Vaughn because Jock Vaughn was for so long reluctant to start him. Even with Mikhail Bridges publicly lobbying for him to be made a starter everybody just seemed unhappy and so I'm not surprised at all um I I, and then you throw in the Ben Simmons thing and Mikhail Bird just talked about this in that same five minutes soliloquy about how we have one game plan for Ben and then Ben doesn't play and so we have another game plan and all the dribble handoffs aren't there you know Ben Simmons turning into a zero I mean, you go back and look at the reaction to the initial... to that the initial, to the, the Philly-Brooklyn trade involving Harden for Simmons. I mean, first it was like no one knew what to make of it. Um, the reactions were all over the place. I was kind of like... I don't even remember what I said initially. But I remember like there were people saying, what a horrible deal for the Sixers. Um, then it became like a lose-lose, maybe everybody lost <laughs> deal for portions of it. Then it was like clearly... The Sixers won the deal because the other guy doesn't play. And you look at that, you look at the return, the respective Harden trades, Tim. To get James Harden, the Nets traded three first-round picks, four pick swaps, first-round pick swaps. Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, essentially who became the fourth first-round pick going to the Rockets in that trade. It ended up being a four-team trade. Levert, Allen, three picks, four. So, I mean, Jared Allen's made an all-star team and had an argument to make a second one this year. Karis Levert's not didn't develop into the player that Nets. Thought he would be, was good. And and then when they traded Harden on the way out, they got Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks, one of whom was already conveyed in Bryce Sensabaugh to Utah, like a late 20, number 28 pick or something like that. Um... So two and firsts, and I think in the rush to sort of do all the math of what did they trade for this guy coming in, what did they get for him going out, okay, but they got all this other stuff later for Durant, it seems to all come out equal in the wash. They did not even come close to recouping what they got for James Harden when they traded James Harden, and the number one reason for that is because it's amazing to think about when that trade happens in, what, February 2022— There was still this like wellspring of, well, when they get Simmons and Simmons gets, you know, gets healthy and playing like this guy's been an all star and all NBA player. Now he's a zero. And it looks like the, the delta between what the Nets gave up and got back is just enormous
2: now. And
0: I don't like where is this where is this team going? Like they're just very hard to watch right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, they haven't been going anywhere, like I said before, since the moment they tanked that game against the Milwaukee Bucks, Their season ended that day. They were a 500 team through the first 30 games. They were competing pretty hard. They they looked like they had a chance to be a playing team and be a decent team, sort of along the lines of what they were supposed to be. They play the Bucks on the second half of a back-to-back. They sit five guys. They sit three more guys after the first quarter. The game goes off the rails. They lose a competitive game despite the fact that they're sitting eight guys to the Bucks and they've never recovered. They've been a disaster since then. There's the chemistry around the team has been horrible since then. They have essentially no fan presence at home since then. I mean So so
0: you 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 nailed this at the time and I'm glad you jogged my memory now. That Knicks loss where the Knicks came back and beat him in Brooklyn and it sounded like an MSG game. And then Josh Hart go I'm sorry, Michael Bridges goes on the Josh Hart Jalen Brunson podcast and they talk about that game. And the Knicks guys are, like, basically making fun of Mikhail Bridges and the Nets to his face. And Mikhail is not, like, mounting much of a defense to the Nets being characterized as, like, you know, the other team over there. That was a really embarrassing game. And you called it at the time, at the moment. Like, that was kind of a flashbulb game.
2: Look, I covered the Nets when they moved to Brooklyn. When they And the Knicks are always going to be the dominant team in New York by a significant amount. But in the first couple of years when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, those games were 60-40 or 55-45 in favor of the Knicks fans at Barclays. And it was a really raucous atmosphere and a lively crowd. That crowd was 100-0 to in the Knicks-Nets game last month. And frankly, the crowd has been 100-0 to in games against Dallas and Golden State since then, where the only cheers in the night are for – Luca and Kyrie and Steph, and like, there's just no home presence whatsoever. And frankly, there hasn't been much of a reason for it because the discontent within the Nets is palpable. It's palpable to people who go in there and play them once. It's palpable when you watch it on the court. You mentioned the Spencer Dinwiddie thing. He was quite obviously miserable there. And from the moment they played that game against Milwaukee, they've been one of the worst teams in the league. It's looked fairly hopeless. And that's why I said, am I surprised Jacques Vaughn got fired today? A little bit because of the timing coming out of the All-Star break. It seemed like a situation where maybe they'd ride it out to the end of the season and see how things went. But they lost by 50 to Boston last week. They have regularly not been competitive. They've had a lot of really disappointing losses, um, particularly at home. And, you know, you really can go right to that game. On December 27th. And I don't really remember many situations where you could see a team completely disintegrate the way this Nets team has since then. And, you know, I have to say, I don't think it was all Jocks Vaughn's decision to sit all those guys that day. And I would say that was, like any time that happens, an organizational decision. And this is an organizational failure for a franchise that, like you said, is not really going anywhere right now, does not have control of its draft picks for several years going forward. And is, you know, stuck in neutral at best, I would say. Well, before we get into,
0: yeah, be- before we get into what happened, let's spin it forward. Um, And the where is this team going question. So they don't have control of their draft picks because the Rockets have control of their draft picks. And one of the rumblings ahead of the trade deadline, and it's one that I believe to be true, is that the Rockets, in an attempt to lure Mikhail Bridges out of Brooklyn, offered the Nets their picks and swaps back. And when those, when those rumblings became public, I had a number of front office executives just un, unprovoked be like, yeah, yeah, the Nets should take that deal. Like, Mikhail Bridges is good. He's on a great contract. He's a very good player. He's a great number three guy or number 2.5 on a championship team. The Nets don't have one, and they don't have two. And if they're trying to rebuild, they have all this stuff from the Suns, and those picks look pretty good. If they can actually get their picks and swaps back from Houston, they should jump on that. I understood why they didn't. I understand they have ambitions of getting the number one guy via trade with all that stuff they have from the Suns, and that that number one guy will want Mikhail Bridges to be on the team for because Mikhail Bridges is awesome. So I understood it. I would have if I if I were in Sean Mark's seat, which I think probably you know. Human nature, if I were him, I'd be getting a little nervous. Like, this is a lot of coaching changes now. I would have tried to haggle and be like, maybe we don't get all our picks and swaps back. Can we get some of them and Jalen Green? Like, are you serious? Is this Jalen Green stuff serious? Can we steal him and and maybe get less draft? I would have thought a little harder about it than maybe the Nets did And instead of dismissing all Mikhail Bridges' trade chatter out of him. But you look at this team. Like, in fairness, we have barely seen Clowney and Whitehead, the guys they drafted this past draft. Who knows what they will be? Jalen Wilson's had some nice games for them recently. We'll see what he becomes. Camp Thomas has another year after this one. I think he's like, he's something. Um, he's some, he, He's at the very least like a really interesting six man of the future kind of candidate. Um, Claxton is still young ish and pretty good. I expect them to make a real run at re signing him this summer. That could change depending on how the rest of the season goes. Those are, that's interesting. Simmons is looking more and more is like his Z- Is
2: it's, it interesting?
0: It's, it's interesting it's not really. Too.
2: It's not really interesting. Okay,
0: I'm trying to be nice. Okay? It was my daughter's birthday not. yesterday. I was at Chuck E. Cheese in Yonkers. <laughs> so I'm trying. I'm in a good mood. I had. A, I got a lot of tickets.
2: I mean, but it's, it's just, just a, not it. Chuck E. Cheese was fun. When you texted me, you were there. I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese in Erie, Pennsylvania when I was a kid. And that was a big, really was a big dis- day.
0: Really disappointed that the paper tickets don't come spitting out of the machine. I understand that. I was oh, all on a card now? Yeah, it's just you get E tickets now. You know, That's I wa- dis- that I like, disappointing. I like the tickets coming out. Uh so I'm in a good mood. I'm trying to be charitable. Um I just, like it's they did well in the Durant trade, but you just look at it, it's not like I don't know what direct. I think and that was part of the problem with the offense. Like there was no direction because there is no direction. Like I don't know what direction you impose on this team as it is and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where they go. I don't know where they go from here because, like, th- like you said, they don't control their picks. So I don't really know what they're going to try to do. Other than I think remain as competitive as possible, which is, I guess, work hard on the trade market this summer. And failing that, you're set up with cap space and cap flexibility in the summer of 25, which is looking more and more like a pivotal moment for the team.
2: Yeah, I mean that's clearly what they've been setting up for for a long time, which is to have cap space in that summer of 25 when Ben Simmons' number comes off the books um you know when Mikhail Bridges still has one year left on his deal and they could go try to get you know Donovan Mitchell was a free agent that summer or you know I think at one point Giannis is going to be free agent that summer he's since extended I haven't looked at the full class but like that's clearly what the goal has been for a while but we haven't seen free agency see be a natural pathway to get players uh over the past several years I'm not quite as convinced that's a dead path as Others are because we had we we're in such a flat cap environment for a while. Now that in theory the cap will start going back up, that will be the first year with the new television deal. Should be in theory a sizable jump in the cap that summer. Um, or probably the full 10%, I would guess. Uh, you know, so I, I think we'll see how that goes. But yeah, look, I go to a lot of Nets games. I go to whenever there's a team in town that's got a game here, I go to the game and you just watch the Nets. And like you said. They don't really have a lot of guys who can create their own shot, so their offense was kind of meandering a lot of the time. They have, I've
0: said from the beginning of the season, they have this too many of the same guy. Yeah, in in like every
2: possible way. And the one guy they don't have who's the same is Cam Thomas, who's the ultimate gunner and is, I would say, one of the more divisive players in the league. When you talk to, you know, scouts and coaches and executives, because some people would say, like you said, this guy could be a good microwave scorer, six man type. Other people would say, I want absolutely nothing to do with this guy on my team. And, the, you know, there's a wide range of opinions on him as a player. But ultimately, if they could have got all the picks and Swass for Mikhail Bridges back from Houston, it should have been a no-brainer to do that. And maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. But to me, this team just has not picked any direction. And I frankly think it's fairly noteworthy that when Sean Marks took over this team and it wasn't the picks he traded, he was very quick to, I think, sort of intentionally have one of the worst teams in the league for a couple of years when he necessarily didn't have to, but there wasn't any real pressure to be better because they weren't his picks. And right now, when he has traded the picks out in the future, there's pretty clearly a reticence to go that direction when, if you look at where the Nets are right now, Like, yeah, maybe they can get two guys to come there and be ahead of Mikael Bridges in the pecking order. But if they can't, what is the upside of this group? If you get a Donovan Mitchell, let's say they get Donovan Mitchell in free agency. Let's say the, the perfect scenario happens, right? This team is probably not as good as the Cavs team that Donovan Mitchell's on right now, which is a team that, you know, we've talked about a bunch. Like, maybe they get to the conference finals this year, maybe, but they're probably a team that most people would think loses in the second round of the playoffs. So, you know... It's just, it is very difficult to see what the direction of the team is, and that is what has been so painful to watch over the past several weeks is they've just been this absolutely miserable outfit, and there's just no clear sense of what the plan is going forward to get out of the mess they're in. You know, they did have a direction once,
0: Tim. And it is just incredible to retrace the last eleven years of Brooklyn Nets history. You can start it. I was anywhere there for a lot
2: of it, so I can I can certainly I certainly remember a lot of it.
0: Well, you start with the Boston trade, obviously, which, as you alluded to, turns into a disaster. Uh, turns into Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, basically, more or less in a roundabout way in Tatum's yeah. case. Um, and then Sean Marks gets the job, and as you said. The approach of that front office was at the time: those picks are a sunk cost. We can't be chasing those picks. We can't be chasing the ch- running against how embarrassing it will be to fork over multiple top three picks. Because it was that very trade. loudly,
2: very loudly, their position. The Look, time.
0: they said it publicly on the record to anyone who yep. asked. Like it's yep. a sunk cost. We're not going to rush toward mediocrity just to do it, just to avoid humiliation. We're gonna we're gonna go scorched earth, build up from the bottom. And they actually did quite a good job of it. You know, they discover your Joe Harris's. They redeem your Spencer Dinwiddie's. They trade, I think, Thad Young became the pick that got them Karis LeVert. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich, and with like th- the last three months of his contract, they get the pick that becomes Jared Allen. Like, they did a good job building this up. From now, they got lucky a few times. Every single time they offered somebody just an absolutely gruesome offer sheet, Allen Crabb, Otto Porter, Tyler Johnson, they got bailed out by those players' teams matching and then of course they went and got crab anyway, which was crazy. Um but they did quite a good job. And then the earthquake of twenty nineteen. Kyrie comes and Durant comes and they come together. And ironically the other earthquake was in Los Angeles where the Clippers, the the like equivalent of the Nets in every possible literary way. The second team in the big city, the hapless losers Compared to the glory hogs, although the Knicks have not had a lot of glory really, but let's just let me just have it. Um, they get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and five years later, we see where the Nets are. And like the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George thing has not borne as much fruit as the Clippers would have hoped, and not enough to justify what they gave out. But the fact that the Clippers are still really good and really relevant, not beyond really good right now, they're a championship contender, one of the absolute favorites. It's why you hang on to stars at all costs, despite the, whatever, the drama, the issues, whatever the stars might bring with them, because they keep you steady. And you look back at all the what ifs of the KD Kyrie thing. You have the, man, what if we could have just got Durant alone without Kyrie? What if it didn't have to be a tag team? What does that look like? Then you have the, all right, we have the big two. Do we want to chase a third star or do we want to sort of keep all our depth pieces and all our picks and try to build this sort of sustainable thing around two players the way Boston has done with Brown and Tatum? They say no to that. They go, I think they were going to chase Bradley Beal. They were going to chase a lot of other people. And then Harden comes to them. Then you have the toe on the line in 2021 Game 7 against the Bucks. Let me stop there. It has been popular. Not popular, but you hear this every once in a while. And you were up close for a lot of these playoffs. Boy, that if that's a three... And the Nets win Game 7 against Milwaukee. They win the title that year. What do you think of that line of thought? Waiting for them to review in the conference finals are the Atlanta Hawks because of, not because of, after the Ben Simmons pass that unravels the Sixers. And then the Phoenix Suns in 2021, who have never reached the same level of playoff success as they did that year. Do you buy the notion that 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 Nets team could have won the championship that year? Or was the favorite to win the championship that year had they gotten out of that series?
2: You could maybe argue they were the favorite. But Kevin Durant has pushed back on this notion many times himself, saying he was exhausted by the end of that series. And I just don't think they were going to be healthy through the rest of the playoffs. James Harden couldn't walk at the end of that series. And Kevin Durant was playing 48 minutes a game. And I just don't think that was going to be sustainable for another month um that Atlanta team was decent they probably would have won a couple games regardless um against that Nets team especially with all the injuries they had I mean Kyrie had an ankle sprain he couldn't come back from in the series um so yeah I mean look they might have won I mean Kevin Durant is one of the all-time great players if he was healthy for another month they might have pulled it off but I don't think it was a fait accompli that they were just going to waltz through and win the title um and they didn't it doesn't matter Like you know, the Sixers. If Kawhi Leonard misses the the jumper against the Sixers in 2019, the Sixers very well win that series. The Sixers very well could have gone on to win the title that year, but they didn't. It doesn't matter. Like that's not you know you can have all sorts of what if. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but like you can. No, I I am. No, no, I am. Well, no, but I but I'm not saying. My point is, you're not saying like the Nets were robbed or the Nets should have won or anything. You're just like, well, what would have happened? Like, yeah, you can construct all sorts of possibilities of, well, if this one thing doesn't happen, maybe these other five things do. At the end of the day, if you make a trade like the one they did for James Harden, like the one the Clippers did for Paul George to bring these kinds of teams together, you are judged by whether you win championships or you don't. And the bottom line is for all the sound and fury around the Brooklyn Nets, They won one playoff series. That's it.
0: It's one of my favorite stats that in the... The Paul
2: Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Nets, by the way, also won one playoff series. Yeah, Paul Pierce still owns Toronto, still owns real estate in the Raptors' heads. And that team, frankly, this is going way back in the time machine, that Nets team was terrified of the Chicago Bulls. Because they lost to them the year before, which was why they went and got Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And totally,
0: by the way, one of the more underrated, like, embarrassing. How did you lose this series losses for the Nets against the well, Bulls, who had like five and a half players left? Losing
2: here. in triple overtime in Game Four when after CJ Watson missed a dunk in that series, and then Three losing C.J. Game Watson Seven coming
0: up. I love and this. then
2: losing losing Game Seven at home. That was one of the the by a lot,
0: if I recall. It they was got a blown new, out. It, yeah,
2: they got blown out at home. Joakim Noah's on the court celebrating. There's a, there is a point to this story. So uh, the next year, Joakim Noah playing on one leg. The Bulls are a mess. They're going to be in the 4-5 game. And the Nets had a choice the final day of the season. They could win and get themselves into the Indiana-Chicago side of the bracket, or they could lose and get into the Toronto-Miami side of the bracket. They chose to lose to get Toronto in the first round. They won in seven games. They actually gave the heat. A pretty good five-game series. Three or four of the games are very competitive. Chris Bosh hits a corner three in game four in Brooklyn um, to steal game four. I think LeBron had a 47 or 49 of 101 points in that game for the Heat. Um, they then lose a close game in game five and they're out of the playoffs. Meanwhile, Chicago fell apart, and that was the year when Roy Hibbert started to sort of go off a cliff in Indiana. Like, I think if the Nets win that game and play that Chicago team in the first round, the Nets easily win those two series. And they're sitting there in the conference finals against the Heat team, which remember in that conference finals against Indiana, Dwayne Wade's knee really started to go. And like, I think there's a chance that Brooklyn could have won that series, which again, when you're doing like a lot of what if scenarios, I remember standing on the court before that last game in the regular season going, what are you guys doing? Play this game out, go play Chicago. You can actually, You why are you afraid of them? They pretended they weren't, but then they did that, and that. Obviously, the rest is history. But the point is, for all the mocking that's been done of that trade, they won the same amount as this Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden combination have won. It's just worth remembering. It's in, one of my favorite,
0: one of my favorite random stats in you know eight combined seasons four Nets, four Clippers since that 2019 free agency period, the two teams have won four playoff series combined in, in eight seasons. And the Clippers have accounted for three of them and should add to that total. I I would, I would hope for their sake this year, by the way, you mentioned this, like I I agree with you because of where those picks ended up for Boston. And remember, we're in a different lottery rules regime now than we were Mm -hmm. then, right? You were much, it was a much safer bet that if you had a horrible record, your pick would be in the top three than it is now. Um, because of where those picks ended up, that trade that trade is not as bad on its merits at the time it was made as people remember it now. It wasn't good, and the smart people in the league were immediately on it. Like, I remember being like, oh, KG, Paul Pierce, that's it. interesting. The smart people in the league were like, this was a disaster for the Nets. They were warning me, like, this is going to be a disaster. I don't think it I was that. I believe the
2: machine Kevin Pelton predicted them to win 60 games
0: that year. Well, I, like I said, I think on the merits the, – on the merits, the real – now we're getting into it. On the merits, the really worst trade of that time was the Gerald Wallace trade where they traded a top three protected pick uh, yes. for Gerald Wallace. And Billy King proclaimed it didn't matter because there were only three good players in the draft anyway. And that I was, became I was Damian Lillard.
2: My, yes. I was in – it was my first year fully covering the league. I was backing up on both the Knicks, which at this point was right during insanity, and the Nets at the near post at the time. And we remember that press conference we did it like out in the, this like room at the Prudential center. It was like sort of the dining room, I think. And they would have press conferences in there for Seton Hall games. And uh, I remember Billy King saying that. And I remember going, you know, I don't really know what's going on, but that seems like kind of an odd thing to say. But I was like, ah, oh, well, you know, he must know what he's talking about. Cause I literally just started covering the league. I was, I was on 26 or something. And uh, yeah, for that to play out the way it did. And for, Damian Lillard, to wind up in Portland with that pick. And by the way, again, talking about just the aggregate of the time with the Nets, they've never had a pick higher than 20th in the entire time they've been in Brooklyn. And I think when you look at the sort of disintegration of whatever fan base there was there at the beginning, which there was at least some seedlings of a real fan base there, um, I think a lot of it could be tied back to There's really been no through line to cheer for the entire time. It's been just a rotating cast of mercenaries all the way through. Some of them more lovable than others, like that group that they put together before Katie and Kyrie showed up there. You know, the Jared Dudley, D'Angelo Russell, that team that had a pretty spirited first round loss to Philly. But at the end of the day, there's just been, for 12 seasons now, just constant churn and nobody where you could say, hey, like, I really want to... I'm invested in this player for eight or 10 years and, you know, they're around for a long time. I mean, the only guy that's been like that is Brooke Lopez and he's been gone for seven, six, seven, eight seasons now, I think. In another more... one of those teardown
0: trades by the yeah. Sean Marks regime where they got yeah. draft equity in D'Angelo Russell for Brooke Lopez. Lovable, yep. lovable don't get you too far in the NBA, man. Lovable, Lovable can get you A couple of nice Little puff pieces And some nice Like oh look at the, Here's a behind the scenes Nugget about Joe Harris Watching film With Karis Laverne And breaking down Some plays And what it does Is get your ass Bounced in the first round And then say, you, go you get Kyrie Irving And Kevin right. Durant That's right And this is my point They get those two guys Can't argue with it Even with Durant Being out for the year And you know that coming You get, you get those guys You get them uh, If they have to come As a tandem They have to come As a tandem Then they decide Look, we have all this great depth. These dudes are going to become so expensive. We got to just we just got to make a consolidation move before they get so expensive that they're not really worth having anymore. We're going to have to lose some of them anyway. Let's get James Harden. Did they overpay for James Harden? I don't know. Like, Karis LeVert, the Pacers, by the way, turned him into a first-round pick and the number 31 pick, which
2: they used on Andrew Nebhardt. Like, that became a really good asset for the Pacers. Here's where the, the Nets overpaid in that trade. The net, I remember... When that trade happened, it was sort of a late thing in the trade was that Cleveland came in out of nowhere with a Milwaukee Bucks first round pick. Yep. And sent it to Houston to complete the trade. Because
0: Houston wanted another pick.
2: They wanted another pick. And I remember looking at it and I was like, wait a second. The Nets traded Jared Allen for the last pick in the first round, which is what this pick was virtually certain to be. It was like going to be the 29th or 30th pick in the draft. And the moment they did that, I was like, you know, it's not a super valuable first round pick. There had to be another way of some kind to get a first round pick that didn't require you giving up a center, who was an absolutely perfect fit with James Harden and with the team that they had coming in. It wasn't like they got a lottery first, where it's like, all right, they got a valuable pick, and look, Jared Allen has obviously taken another step forward, and he's been great for the Cavs. But you talk about a fork in the road deal. If Jared Allen is on the Nets the past several years, things, I think, look a lot different.
0: Well, how about this? There. How about this? Kenny Atkinson was fired in large part because he wanted to start Jared Allen over DeAndre Jordan, who came to Brooklyn with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as their third buddy. And did the guy, they were like, wait a second! I thought DJ was going to start. That's I don't think that's the sole reason, but I think it was a reason. And I was thinking about today, all these coaches we just named them all in and out. maybe they just should have never fired Kenny Atkinson. You know, they're wow. not going to hire him now. Maybe they just never should have fired him, but they did. The, the they they did and on hard on the hardened trade because that's really the most interesting pivot moment from a basketball sense. The real what if is the Kyrie Irving vaccination thing. Because I think that team was set up to be the best team in the NBA for a solid two-year window, probably. And then, of course, the pandemic, a black swan event comes and he doesn't get vaccinated. And the team falls apart as Harden gets frustrated. But we we know that story. So yeah. with Harden, they decide we're going to trade in depth for a third star. And the reason they did that was, A, if you have three stars, it insulates you from, oh, crap, Kyrie Irving sprains his ankle – in the middle of a playoff series. We still have two guys left. We can get through this playoff series. By the way, proof of concept was that Bucks series when they really were down to like 1.3 of their big three by the end of that series. Kyrie was out and Harden was limping around. And they still almost won. But also, like, you look at Boston. Boston's had all these chances to trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Name Name a star that's become available. They could have gotten one of those players... And not necessarily gone from two to three stars, but but sort of shrunk their timetable, shrunk their window. And they, Boston has decided, you know what? We think we're really good now. We're going to be really good later. At some point, we're going to win a title in this window. We're just not going to sacrifice our flexibility to that degree. They have sacrificed some of it for holiday now, this season, whatever. The Nets lifted Kyrie and Katie. were like, all right, Katie's getting up there in age. Achilles tear. Like, we just got to – we got to sacrifice – some of our five, six years away future to just nail it for the next two or three years. To just build a team that even for this short window, we know we can win titles. And I think they could have won titles. I think they were that good. And then the whole thing falls apart. So I think the hardened thing is the irony that he's playing with the Clippers now, Nets, Nets West is, is unbelievable. In a big three with the two stars that also moved in free agency that summer is incredible. Um Just... A crazy time for the Nets and I just think going forward I I guess they'll try like hell to make trades that upgrade their team I'm interested to see who they hire you know Kevin Ali has been named the interim coach I I assume he'll get a shot at at the full time job obviously did a great job at UConn all the guys at Overtime Elite speak very highly of him we'll see any parting Nets thoughts before we move on
2: I just think they ultimately need to pick a direction and they really just sort of been floating from for the last calendar year. I think they should have traded Mikael Bridges by now. Personally, um, they've had some, they've had at least some significant, really significant offers for him. Could have got a lot for him. Um, and look, they did, make
0: a, they did make a good Royce O'Neal trade. They did not trade Finney Smith. They got, they got decent value for Royce. Yeah, Smith.
2: no, I mean, that was, that was perfectly fine trade. Yeah, I mean, look they've they've done a fine they've done I mean they've they've sort of you know floated along here. They obviously did great in the Durant trade, though. You know, I don't know how much negotiating there really was done there. Basically, said give us everything, and Matt Ishby came in on his first day with the team and said, "Sure, here, have it all. Great, give me Kevin Durant." But
0: you do have to you that takes the backbone to not trade Kevin Durant. Like you have to actually be willing to not trade Kevin Durant and live with him being unhappy and, and just push kick. You have to at least make the other party believe you are not, you are willing to not trade Kevin Durant. So that, yeah, that's, no. that's something. yeah, look,
2: they got everything they could get, which I will give them credit for. But since then, you know, like the Cam Johnson contract, I think is a pretty bad contract that they signed him to. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Nick Claxton this summer. I would not be, Super excited about giving him a large contract as a starting center going forward. Um, You know, they're just just about the most blah team in the league. And maybe these Suns picks will turn into a Celtics-type run. The Suns are very old. They don't have a lot of flexibility going forward. Perhaps it will break in their favor, but it's also Phoenix. It's a very popular place for players to be. Matt Ishby is certainly not going to be afraid to spend money, it seems like, which part of the reason the Nets picks became so bad was Mikhail Prokhorov, for a variety of reasons, pulled, brained in the purse strings bit and stopped spending. Um, You know, so we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll work out. But like I said, just watching them for the past six, seven weeks now, it's been remarkable how fast this thing has collapsed. And frankly, a way I haven't really seen before from one obvious moment. and. I think it's going to take a lot to resuscitate this thing with this current group. And I'm just, I don't know even if a coaching change is really going to be enough to fix it. And it it is going to be very interesting to see what direction they do go in because if they ultimately do decide to go the other way with Mikkel Bridges, as you said, he'll be one of the most interesting trade assets on the market because a lot of teams, especially the teams with elite talent will be interested in trying to get them. So, um, you know, the Nets since the moment they moved to Brooklyn have been, as you said, about the most interesting team in the league. And I think the last six weeks have only proven that even if they don't have the biggest fan base, they're certainly going to be right there in terms of intrigue about where they're headed for a good while now going forward.
0: I mentioned the leverage, real fake perceived, whatever of, we're willing to just not trade Kevin Durant. Utah will always tell you, to transition to our next bit of news, that their main source of leverage in the Rudy Gobert trade was, we're fine not trading Rudy Gobert. Like, call our bluff. We don't care. Like, we'll keep him and we'll win more games and that'll be fine. And, of course, Rudy Gobert was then traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves for damn near everything. And wouldn't you know it, Tim Bontemps, the Minnesota Timberwolves, as we record this podcast, are number one in the Western Conference. They've played... 31 road games and 24 home games. So they have seven home games to make up, which is why uh, the two most reliable playoff projection systems that I use have them as a 60 to 65% chance to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. Now, one two-game losing streak, that becomes like 47%. So take it for what it's worth. But right now, at a frozen moment of time, that's where we are. And today, according to Woj, the Wolves and Mike Conley agreed to a two-year, $22, $21 million extension, something like that, so that he remained. He was going to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. He will remain in Minnesota. You and I have talked a lot about what a critical stabilizer he is and has been for the Wolves, how strange it is that the Lakers seem determined to not get Mike Conley in that same three-team trade, and what a great move it was by Tim Connolly in that front office who was much criticized for the Rudy Gobert trade to come in under the radar and get Mike Conley and was really like a Russell Westbrook centric transaction. I
2: would, I would briefly pause and say it didn't make a ton of sense at the time when they got Rudy Gobert, they were trading everything that was not nailed down and they didn't get Mike Conley in the first place. Yes. Um, So they did correct it later, which was uh, a very savvy move. And there's a, you know, there's a
0: reason for, there's a reason for that. And I can't remember what it was because I've had this conversation with the, with some of the stakeholders about like, why did you just do it in the first place? There was some reason for it and I'm blanking on well, it.
2: Whatever, out. whatever the reason, Like I think if they had said, give us Mike Conley or we're walking away, I suspect that Utah would have still done that deal. But regardless, they got Mike Conley and from the moment he's shown up there, last year at the trade deadline, they've been a dramatically improved team and at Obviously, they had some injuries at the end of the regular season, some accidental, some uh, you know unfortunate incidents like um, with McDaniel's punch in the wall, but they that's carried right over into this year, like you said, and they've been one of the best stories in the league. Um,
0: it, maybe it was just as simple as finances, like whatever Conley, what adding Conley's salary would. I don't know. And in any case, what's interesting about I've talked a lot about the Wolves lately as a basketball team, and. Whatever. I don't need to rehash that. What's interesting about it is, you know, everyone's been looking ahead financially to the crunch that's coming next year, the 24, 25 season with Conley on the books for next year at 10 and change. They now have ballpark, $190 million committed to 11 players, which does not include Kyle Anderson. Who's also going to be a free agent. That is about where the second apron is going to be next year. Not the luxury tax, the second apron, and that is an enormous expenditure for a team that does not have a track record of having an enormous expenditure, and just had to had, had an ownership group buy the team, um, in in a deal that took a while to complete, and that doesn't include the potential of Anthony Edwards making the All NBA team and his contract bumping up by seven more million dollars. Because of the the bonus you would get for that, are they really going to pay that amount of money? I mean, that is that is, and the answer might be
2: depend. It depends how the playoffs go. It depends on the playoffs. I would say that's definitely the answer. In that look, if let's say the Wolves win the title. Okay. Well, oh, like then I, you just I, then you just throw a a, a champagne well, right. Party, man. right. If they if they win the title or they make the finals, right? Maybe even if they make the conference finals for a team that's won a playoff series in one season in its thirty five years in the NBA, just to, for context. But they won got to the conference finals in two thousand four with KG. They've never won a playoff series in any other season. So they yeah, their the slogan
0: com- their slogan should be just like remember Joe Johnson said it's not that bad here about the Nets Nets reference that that should be their slogan. The Wolves slogan for the last 25 years should be at least we're not the Kings. I mean, that's how bad, that's how bad it's been. Well, in the last 25 years, the
2: Kings had a lot more success than the Wolves. I mean, they I guess maybe
0: 15 because the Kings,
2: I mean, everyone knows the early 2000s, the post post Weber, the post Weber Kings. Yeah. So yeah, like, look at the end of the day, if they get that far, I think there'll be a lot of momentum there to say, Hey, look, it's going to be expensive for a year, but let's run this back and see if we can't break through. They lose in the first round. If they lose in the second round, they're not going to be $25 million into the tax. This is just not going to happen. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like or how that's going to manifest itself or what the decisions will be, but they're not, they this is not the Warriors. This is not the Clippers. This is not the Knicks. Like they're just not going to be. I can't see a scenario where that they are that expensive without a really good reason to be that expensive, which I know gets Wolves fans upset. It's also just the reality of the situation.
0: A couple of things to just make clear. I've been reminded many times that the Wolves don't have to, if they want to get under the luxury tax or cut their payroll for 24-25, 20, they don't have to do that this summer or right away. They can do it in season in twenty four twenty five. Another person reminded me today that uh, 25, 26, so two seasons from now is when the new luxury tax rates go into effect, and those new luxury tax rates are softer on teams that go over by a little bit, but when you get up into the second apron range, or we're talking right now, they are way harsher, like almost five dollars per dollar, four twenty-five a dollar, four seventy-five a dollar, than they are now, and so. It, maybe there is a scenario where the Wolves say twenty four twenty five. That's a sweet spot where we can bite the bullet because our team was good enough last year to justify it. But twenty five twenty six, that's where the rubber really meets the road, and where we're going to have to make some tough decisions. That could be it. But look, I think I Conley. There's just the guy has been a complete godsend for the Wolves. They are not. They are not this team with D'Angelo Russell and Mike Conley's place. It's they're just not. It's not close in any other possible way. Last thing, I want Tim Bontemps, I did this last week with Steve Jones, I want Tim Bontemps number one most interesting Eastern Conference storyline for the rest of the season.
2: Go. To me, it's very simple. It's health. I mean, the entire conference is beset by significant injuries. Got Joel Embiid, obviously, is the most significant injury in Philadelphia. I think there's a general belief he'll be back at some point um, before the end of the regular season, but... We'll see how that goes. Knee injuries are tricky. You never know how recoveries and these things go, but I think there's a general belief might be strong. They're at least optimistic about that. I think Um, Chris Middleton has been dealing with an ankle issue in Milwaukee. They desperately need him. Uh, You know, Damian Lord has not been great. He's looked bulky at times uh, with some various lower leg things. Let's see how he looks, Um, you know, but they're an older team. We'll see where they're at. The Knicks had an incredible January. Then had every single Rotation player seemingly get hurt in February. Um, where's OG and Obi going to be when he comes back? Can Julius Randall stay on the court um, with this shoulder injury? I mean, the Knicks said he was going to be reevaluated in two to three weeks. Two weeks was this past Thursday. There was didn't seem to be a huge update on it. Three weeks is this Thursday when they're in Philly to open the second half uh, in Philly against the Sixers. So we'll see where things with Randall sit. Um, Mitchell Robinson could be back in early March or sometime in March from his ankle surgery. Uh, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein's been Hartenstein's been dealing with Achilles soreness, so they've had a ton of injuries. Let's see where they're at. Um, and then in Miami, you know, Terry Rogier is gonna miss some time with a knee sprain. And um Jimmy Butler's been in and out of the lineup, and they haven't once again really been able to get out of um second gear. And then you even have Tyrese Albert, who spent most of the last month dealing with a hamstring injury. Seems like he's over that, but as we know, those can always recur. So, um, and even in Boston, like maybe the number one story for the next four or five, I guess, till the end of June is what is the health of Chris S. And if he's on the court, I think he's their most important player. And I think that the Celtics with him on the court are quite clearly class of the East. And you could argue the class of the league and without him, all the same issues that they've had the past several years crop up. And the the same bogging down of the offense and the inability to attack in isolations is late in games, all that kind of stuff. So I know it's a broad thing, but to me, with the way all these teams are banged up, it's just what is the health of all of these various guys across these teams? And whatever team manages to be healthiest is probably going to be what's the difference between who finishes second or third or fourth in the East and who's you know, potentially going into the play-in and having to slog their way into the playoffs. You know,
0: you mentioned Tyree Saliburton. Don't underestimate the ripple effects and the, the impact of team Pacers winning the Kia, Sprite, Taco Bell, Poulin, <laughs> Weed Eater skills challenge presented by Panini. All right, like that could really vault them. I mean, they might not lose a game.
2: Hopefully the they're the, the final season. team to ever participate in the skills mm-hmm. challenge because that should be shot to Neptune, uh, the whole thing. Just just put it in a, a giant Is cartoon. Is Neptune the furthest planet now? No, Is, there's probably – I don't know. I don't remember if Pluto exists or not anymore as a planet. Pluto's
0: not – Pluto got demoted. Shoot
2: it out of the Milky Way. Just get Pluto, rid of Pluto, the entire thing.
0: Pluto got relegated to the Planetary G League where half the dunk contest participants now
2: come from. <laughs> yes, and yes.
0: Shoot, shoot um, it in a cartoon cannon somewhere. Uh, I will just wrap by saying this: Hell, You nailed it with health, because if you freeze the NBA as it exists, to, the Eastern Conference as it exists today, and more specifically, as the Heat, Philly, and the Knicks going up the standings exist, you would you would just look at it and say, and the Bucks, the Bucks too, three and seven under Doc Rivers, Dame, you know, alternating. Yeah, I mean, they're a mess really good on game. Heart levels, yeah. If you froze that today. You would say – and with Porzingis healthy. Right. You would say it is an absolute catastrophe if the Celtics do not make the finals this season. Like, they're so – with apologies to Cleveland, who's been 18-2 in their last 20 games. Nah, yeah. they're Boston's so the overwhelming
2: cl- favorite. The overwhelming favorite. so
0: clearly better than these other teams as we look yeah. at them now that anything short of a finals appearance is a flat-out disaster. Now, we could get to April – and the Knicks could be healthy and coming into the playoffs winning 10 out of 11 and the Bucks could figure it out and Middleton could get healthy and Embiid could come back with two weeks. I'm just making this up. I have no, no idea when Embiid sure. is coming back yeah. or if he's coming yeah. back, he could come back and look what, like in my head I'm envisioning Embiid. If he comes back looking not quite like himself for a period of time, maybe he comes back and he looks amazing. Then, then you're like, okay, you're like, I could see Boston losing at some point in the playoffs. So right now, as things stand today, and some of this will change, particularly the Knicks injuries and the Butler situation, the East's is Boston's to lose, I think probably more than it has ever been in the Tatum-Brown era. We'll see what it looks like in April. But even then, if they don't make the finals and they're healthy, something something bad has happened.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, you look at where their salary structure is, right? I mean, they going to the next season, they're already a very expensive team um, before they, in theory, retain Drew Holiday, right? And I think, you know, when you look at them, I think you have to look at them in a similar fashion to Minnesota. Now, they, are obviously, it's a bigger market. They have deeper pockets than the Timberwolves. But if they, with all the advantages we just talked about, they get to the finals, they win the title, this group is going to be back. If they lose somehow in the second round, say they lose to milwaukee in the second round or something right just as a hypothetical there's going to be some hard questions about is this team going to be 20 25 30 million dollars you know they're not going to be 30 million dollars into the tax but like are they going to be way into the tax this is not a team that typically has spent they've you know wick grusbeck and Pag luca have spent into the tax consistently but they're not the warriors they're not the clippers like they there's sort of a cap on how far they can go um and again if they're winning I think they'll happily keep this group together and roll it forward and they'll be fine. But especially with, like you said, with the, with the second apron and all the restrictions that come with it and sort of the new financial reality that the league successfully got into the CBA to get this a lot more like an NFL style system, even if it's not exactly like an NFL style system, um, you know, the teams are going to have hard choices to make. And if you're winning at the, toppity top of the heap, that's not going to be necessarily a problem for anybody. But if you're at some level below that, whether you're Boston or Minnesota or anybody else, you're going to have to have some real conversations about, okay, is this the right time for us to continue pushing our chips in? Or do we have to reallocate our resources a little bit? And, you know, it's part of what's going to make these playoffs so fascinating is there's going to be a lot of decisions like that going on um, across the league from the Clippers to the Warriors, to the Wolves, to the Celtics, to, you know, a bunch of other teams.
0: The playoffs tell you who you are. Tim Bontemps, thank you for your time on this Monday night. Hopefully I will see you at an arena in the Northeast soon. Get some rest. we got a couple more days without games, but gear up because playoff playoff season is coming, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, let's bring on someone who's young, cool, (laughs) hip, because telegenic, a TV Mm. personality, because Mm. we need to save All-Star Weekend. All-Star Weekend stunk for the at least like ninth consecutive year. Malika Andrews, you were in Indianapolis for All-Star Weekend. Um, And here's what I'm going to reject out of hand. I'm going to reject, and Tim Bontemps and I talked a little bit off air yesterday about this, I'm going to reject the Who cares about All-Star? If you don't like the game, just don't watch the game. It doesn't matter. Look, Mm -hmm. the Pro Bowl, they turned into flag football. The hockey one is now whatever the hockey one is. All-Star games are nonsense. No, I'm 46 years old. I am old (laughs) enough to remember when two All-Star games actually meant something. When the players played hard and fans made appointment viewing out of watching them. The baseball All-Star game? and the basketball all-star game. These were events. The best players wanted to play against each other. They took pride in like Pedro Martinez striking out the side, just going all out. And West versus East going all out for supremacy with nothing on the line other than we're the best guys. We want to prove that we're the best guys against the other best guys. And we care. And for various reasons that we can get into, we've lost that. But we have to save All Star Weekend. So let's let's review just quickly. Um, skills challenge. Are you a yes or no on the skills challenge?
1: Skills challenge doesn't do much for me. I'm going to be honest with you. In the moment, also trying to keep score of the the bouncing go, the passes going in, and how many points each is worth. in a bounce pass versus a chest pass versus the skills challenge is not um, my my three point contest. I think is by far the ba- the favorite, the best uh, right now because the best actually go and compete in it and it makes it really good so skills challenge does not too much for me
0: three point contest has been my favorite event since yep. i was yep. a kid yeah um i am pro skills challenge okay with this caveat i want it to be over fast just like let's just go let's get it done right. everybody gets to go once there's no tiebreakers, there's no freaking overtime. Just get it to th- like part of the reason this Sabrina Ionescu Steph Curry thing worked so well and we'll get into that more cuz it was absolutely tremendous is yeah. cuz it was every they shot one time. That's it. You get one chance to do this for you and for you. One chance in out. There's pressure attached to this one chance. You don't get another round. This yeah. is it and it was like nervy and tense. skills See, I don't make mind it two.
1: I don't mind two rounds. I wish Steph and Sabrina did have two rounds. I did not love the tiebreaker round in the uh, three-point contest where they ended up doing like a minute and it only ended up being half a round. Where you I didn't know
0: what was going on. I was eight. like, oh, it's done? They're exactly. done?
1: Exactly. That, that didn't do much for me. I thought they just should have let four advance and have two rounds. I'm fine if you have two rounds, particularly in the three-point contest, but the tiebreaker in both the skills challenge and the three-point contest just made it drag on a little bit for me.
0: So here's I like the skill challenge because it's fast when done properly because I like when the players forget what the rules are and the referees who have to <laughs> have sit to there this
1: way. <laughs> Yeah,
0: who have to sit who sit on the court uh, for all the events, including the yeah. three-point shootout, where the ref missed that Carl Anthony Towns had his foot on the line every <laughs> single goddamn time. But they have to sit there and officiate these things with, like, stone faces as if this is serious basketball. And they yeah. have to be like, no, Paolo, other way, buddy. Get <laughs> around the pylon the other way. Scotty, Scotty, no, wrong way, bud. And it's it's funny to watch. It, I think it's funny. Um, I would like to bring back... The Shooting Stars Challenge. I don't know if you remember that one. That was the half court shot competition. All I called it the Swin Cash, the Swin Cash Invitational. Court,
1: the half court shot. The that was the tiebreaker for um, the skills challenge this year. Was somebody had to make a half court shot, and it took you know the Pacers um, less time to make a full half court shot than it took um, who was it the num- the number one picks to make a half court shot. So. They kind of had that a little bit. You could make it part of the skills challenge maybe, but that does not help your 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 um time conundrum. Yes. Okay. Fine. Fine and fine. Bring
0: back to shooting stars. WNBA fine. veteran yep. and NBA player yep. together on a three-person team. Yep. Uh, LED court, pro or con?
1: Pro. Uh, it was cool. And I was curious how it felt. I went down and touched it. Um, and I thought it was going to feel more like a funky screen. And I was asking the players what they thought of it. And they said it was fine. The one thing that Damian Lillard told me was that at times she said that my foot had to have probably maybe been on the line cause I couldn't see it. So I thought it looked cool on TV. I don't think it was dangerous, which was what I was worried about. It's supposed to be less slippery than, you know, the, the regular hardwood floors. Um, but it is hard to see. It's a little funky.
0: I liked it. I was watching on television. I did not go this year. I thought it, I I was prepared to hate it because I am an old because man. You're I was pre- you. I was prepared to hate it. Yeah. I liked it. I liked the effects. I liked that it. it changed color. I liked everything about it. Uh, but let's not let's let's keep it here. Let's park okay. it here. Let's not get any crazy ideas about like real basketball games and real bad. Like let's leave it. Leave it where it is. Um, uh, my one comment on the three point shootout, by the way, I I liked. I actually like the. Uh, the two ultra long—I think they're the starry three-point shots with the green oh, ball. Yeah, yeah. But again, old man, does everything need to be sponsored? Do we need to sponsor literally every part of everything? Can it I don't just think that's
1: be? Change. Like it's—it's
0: it, it, it's a little bit. Like to hear Kevin Harlan's. Oh, Carl Towns missed the starry shot. It's just uh, enough with enough with all of it. Enough with the sponsor. Enough with the sponsored elements. It's, but everything is sponsored now. The walkouts are sponsored. It's just yep. enough. Um, okay. Uh, oh, the dunk contest. <clears throat> okay. Look, I've never been a huge. The dunk contest depends on who's in it. It was awesome when Levine and Gordon were in it. Yeah, I mean, the
1: 2016 awesome. The dunk contest was great, and and. I will say last year's was fun. It was fun because it Mac McClung was so unexpected that people got into it, right? Like that was fun. The dunks were fun. He was making them on the first attempt. They were really good. They were really difficult. He was fun. And so it wasn't Zach Levine. It wasn't Aaron Gordon, partly because of the names, right. That are in it. That's the thing that comes up over and over again. Um, Something I was reminded of this year. Right. And I, I tip my hat to Jalen Brown for participating because I do think he's right. I do think in the era of get clipped off flailing, uh, a lot of folks don't wanna be embarrassed and I understand that. Um, So I do give him credit for participating. And I I, I know I'm not usually, you know this from me, I'm not usually like give a gold star for just participating, but because we haven't seen an all-star participate in six years, I appreciated that he was willing to do that. And I thought that was great. What I was reminded of though, is that excellent in-game dunkers and excellent dunk contest participants, it's not always the same thing. And that was just the case here. I have no, you know, like I'm not going to go full Shannon Sharp on Kai. Sanat was five, three. And then you put him in a chair, all of that stuff and dunked over him versus dunking over Shaq. But um I mean it just Mac McClung's dunks were actually they were there was things that are impressive about him because when you're standing next to him, you know, you don't think that he can do these sorts of things. But I just don't know that we're going to see a Jaw Zion Williamson um dunk contest Anthony Edwards dunk contest. Well, by the way,
0: thanks for showing up, Anthony Edwards. Well, well, thanks for attending All I Star Weekend.
1: I have thoughts on that.
0: Thanks for thanks for participating. <laughs> Can Wait. we find people for their non participation in All Star Weekend? My well, God.
1: Adam Silver was. Did he play
0: uh, in the All Star game? Like, I don't remember one second of Anthony Edwards being in the off, all- let alone shooting lefty and stuff in this Taco Bell Weed Eater, Pulan Independence Bowl <laughs> skills so he challenge. He did
1: shoot left in the skills challenge. And after, you know, he was asked about it and he said something to the effect of, like, I'm just here to have fun. And Victor Wembanyama, um, mentioned well you know winning is fun (laughs) so of course that's sort of the sentiment that that victor has versus am
0: maybe Wemby is going to save the all-star game but okay so you give um you give jalen brown credit
1: i give him credit i'm going going to to give him credit now do i think his scores were too high
0: I do. Oh, the scoring! The judges need to all be fired immediately. All of them. I don't even. know. I don't care who they were. You're all fired. Dominique, Not you're every, firing.
1: You're firing Dominique Wilkins and Gary. I'm Payton. firing
0: Dominique Wilkins. Okay. Like if Dominique Wilkins is one of the greatest dunkers of all time, they yes. judge this thing like if you just walk up and dunk it, it's a forty-five. Like you just like if you just walk up and just do a little well, two-handed and dunk, that's forty-five.
1: How you knew that Mac McClung had to get fifties on the last dunk, which it shouldn't have been because. The other dunks were so high. The the scoring was off. Jalen Brown, I give credit for participating. No, I don't. I give no. I give
0: no credit to Jalen Brown. I don't think Brown. he
1: shouldn't have. I don't think it should have. He should not have been a finalist. What,
0: what yeah. is what is the debate? The debate moderator say during the old school debate scene where he's like, "I award you no points <laughs> and may God have mercy on your soul." I award Jalen Brown no points. The dunk that you mentioned was so bad. When he jumped over whoever that was. I'm too old I to said. know who that was. And then almost when he hit the ground, did the D-Brown, I'm not looking, yeah. like the dunk was, was done. Yeah. The dunk was done. And I and he did that. I was like, was that supposed to be the dunk? Was that the intended, like was he supposed to do that during the dunk? Because I can make a jump shot and then cover my eyes and be like, <laughs> oh, look at that. Look what I did. Horrible. It was a travesty. They made the finals and that's it. Now let's I don't talk think about he the-, have made
1: the finals. I think that that is absolutely correct. That 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 is correct. But I appreciate. I I hope that, that it starts to trend. I want to see those three that I just mentioned. I want to see them in a dunk contest, and I don't know that we will because of the. I don't know if it's the embarrassment factor, um, which maybe if people were just a little nicer, it would be fine. Like I I don't know.
0: Uh, is Zion the most likely player to get injured in a dunk contest in the history of the NBA? Like the Pelicans should throw throw themselves out in front of on the railroad tracks of any Zion appearing at a dunk contest thing.
1: You can't have it both ways. We can't both be imploring for the dunk contest to be better and you volunteering teams to dive in front of their players to not.
0: No, you know what would be better? If the judges gave Jalen Brown a 24 for that well, dunk, yeah, that yeah, would you make not, it better. You
1: did Not have advanced. That round, you, you know, know, I appreciate the chance, Park. I appreciate all of these these things. Um, yeah, it just it was it was not great. Last year's dunk contest was better, and last year's dunk contest was not great.
0: Let's talk about the game itself. I don't know what the final score was. One of the teams had two hundred. points. It was like
1: four hundred points combined. It was it was insane. And you know what? Um, so I'm standing on the court after, and I know this clip is um, you know gone viral. Standing on the court after to wait until. Um, Damian Lillard is ready for his his interview. He comes around and does all the interviews with TNT and with ESPN. And so, um, watching Adam Silver and did you you heard how Adam Silver gave the trophy? Well, Giannis, your team scored the most points, so uh, I guess here you go, essentially. And from everything that I had been hearing the couple of days leading up to it, from people in the league office. There was buy-in, they felt like, from the players. They had had these conversations with the Players Association. They had had these conversations with individual players. Um,
0: And the Players Association, by the way, had separate conversations with some of the players. Andre Iguodala had separate conversations conversations. with some of the players saying, can you maybe try?
1: The commissioner and people around the league office went into this feeling a little bit hopeful that at the very least it would be better than what we saw. Wah, 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 wah. like that it was I was sitting next to a WNBA player and her son and her son the entire game mom why aren't they just like come on just play like why are they doing anything why it should be as Kobe Bryant said one of the greatest pickup games ever and it just wasn't and Zach Lowe it continued the trend we've been seeing all year long or Carl Anthony Towns we've seen two players have 60 point games in the regular season this year and lose we saw carl anthony towns there's only been last year jason tatum put up like what 50 55 a a record in the 50s for an all-star game and he was mvp and and it wasn't a good game there was a little moment remember the back and forth between but at least someone had 50 it was a record and they won the game and won mvp this year carl anthony towns was one of the few that was actually a little bit fun to watch with no defense and and the rest of it um who had 50 and lost. <laughs> and it I, was
0: like, I wanted Carl Towns to win MVP. I don't care that his team lost. I wanted him to win the MVP because he was actually almost sort of possibly trying. for yeah. a minute trying. Which by the way, the best highlights of the game were Tyrese Halliburton making five threes in 90 seconds because those were like normal threes. Like, so, wow. like, like they were like normal ish threes. Yeah. And the second best highlight was Trey Young nutmegging Kevin Durant. Because you know what? There was defense being played, and Trey yeah. Young was like, there are a lot of kind of highlights where it's one on o, oh and I'm just showing off, and it's a fancy dunk. Trey Young was like, I'm going to actively embarrass one of the 10 to 15 greatest players of all time in front of a giant audience. Yeah. And there's some risk in that, because Kevin Durant might be like, oh, that's how it is? Now I'm going to embarrass you, Trey Young. Oh. You hope that that's how people. So, take kudos it. to Trey Young. That was my favorite moment of the entire game. Um, so, I
1: voted for MVP. I voted for Damian Lillard. I was the last person to get my vote in because I was waffling. And when he made that half court shot at the end, that's my vote. Were you
0: waffling between him and Tyrese or him and Towns?
1: I was waffling between him and Carl Anthony Towns. I'll be honest with you. I, Tyrese I should, was if not. If I had known P- you were
0: a voter, I would have texted you be like, vote for Cat. Go so down in, on you're, the you're right side of history.
1: A, you're making a good because I was thinking, as I think for everything, oh, winning matters. But clearly, in this, I mean... Um, I already
0: forgot who won the game. I, I One Tyrese, of the teams won.
1: <laughs> well, and Tyrese for me, you know, it was like that concentrated... It was the concentrated 90 seconds, like you said, at the end of the game. There was, there was a lot going on there. But um, it was not good. The league was disappointed. Fans were disappointed. Uh, I'm disappointed,
0: it was if if the All Star game was not dead yep. already, yep. its official time of death was whenever Luka Doncic made a layup moving so slowly that I think he was actually moving backward at some point while making oh, the was, layup.
1: I thought it was Jokic front rim. <laughs> but yes.
0: Um by the way, let me so you mentioned Adam Silver's hilariously sarcastic deadpan. Congratulations. So that's Adam Silver. Let me translate that Adam Silver moment into David stern ease. Adam Silver doing that is the equivalent of David Stern taking the MVP trophy and hitting Giannis on the side of the head with it and saying, F you, you jerks, you're all suspended for five games. That's the equivalent of what Adam Silver... And Adam Silver, who's polite and friend of the players, and it's kind of let the league, the players run amok a little bit. That yeah. is the equivalent in David Stern's world. All right, so here, here are some things about the game. I said a year ago they should go back to East versus West because oh, I, I – Too using too much time. And, and I also just like there was no – you just had no idea. The draft was fun-ish, but during the game you were like, why is that guy on that guy's team? Wait, what team is that guy on? And now East versus West, I know – what team everyone is on and who they're playing with and all yeah. that. And I think one of the reasons the game worked when I was a kid is there was like more permanence to the rosters than with players changing teams left less often. Like there was like, Oh, these eight guys from the East are back and these eight guys from the West yep. are back and they're facing each other again. But I like that they went back to um, to East versus West. They need to bring the Elam ending back. I have no idea why they took the Elam ending away. I would even go back to the each quarter is its own thing for charity. That was kind of cool. At the end of the quarter, you'd see a dial up in intensity. The Elam ending was fun. Bring that back because whatever this is, isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, Now let's get to the meat and potatoes, which is the effort. Um, You know, on the one hand, this is the sort of natural conclusion of not really the player empowerment era as people want to frame it. But yep. players just making so much money that the risk of any kind of injury in this game is so elevated compared to how it used to be for them and what they mm-hmm. have to lose, and the, the fact that there are no actual stakes in this game. And I would—I've seen some people be like, "The winning teams' conference representatives should get home court advantage in the finals." No, 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 no. We're not—we're not, we're not uh, disempowering the regular season to that degree. So, um, and and as many people have pointed out, the players spend this entire weekend making appearances, yep. going to parties, even yep. before the game, the pregame routines are all disrupted because this is a, basically a concert masquerading as a basketball game. And so they're not put in position to play hard on Sunday afternoon after three days of festivities or four days of festivities or whatever yep. it is. And the financial, the, the financial reality is is just what it is. Like It's a calculated, rational decision that they are making not to put in any effort in the game. On the other hand, because they are paid for the game. Let's be clear. People are yep. like, they should get paid for the game. The no, winning paid. team, the winning team's players get hundred dollars a pop. Yep. Losing team is $25,000 a pop. Which you could say, it's like nothing to these guys. And it is, yeah. like, relative to the typical all-star salary, not very much. And significantly less than the in-season tournament winners and runners-up were paid. Which was $500,000 a player and $250,000 a player uh, for the runner-ups. On the other hand, Malika... Allow me to be the old man again.
1: Okay. Always. Number one.
0: Num- and by the way, I would I would beef up the the money. I'm okay with that. If we're going to pay them a half a million for the in-season tournament, make it a million for All-Star. I don't like that I have no problem with that. I don't think the optics of that are bad. Okay. But but here let me be here's my two-pronged old man argument. Number one, like don't you don't you want to be the best against the rest of the best? Mm -hmm. In a competitive basketball game, like isn't there? Don't we all do this? Don't you all do this? Because, like, listen to Larry Bird talk about it. Listen to that. that, that, Did you see that Kobe Bryant quote that went around?
1: Yeah,
0: Uh, that people that people play harder at pickup games at UCLA in the summer than they do at All Star.
1: I was thinking about. The Drew, I live in Los Angeles, and the Drew League is something that I like to go to. You know, I like to go to the games every summer and see what NBA play. And in the last couple of years, Kyrie's been there. LeBron James has been there. Uh, and they play, like, legit play in these games. And there is always the question of the gyms are overcrowded and the, the floor is the greatest and is someone going to get hurt. The same question that can be asked anywhere, right, And anytime you step on the floor. But these guys, they play harder in that game than they do in the All-Star game. Why is that? Well, it's because it's not just five NBA players versus five NBA players. You're intermixing that with the, you know, 40 year old from uh, YMCA who wants his one moment against LeBron James with the college kid who wants his one moment passing to, or getting the pass and making it from Kyrie Irving after he had this, you know, crazy handles, crossed someone up, blah, blah, blah it's intermixed with people who actually want to go for your throat. You can't get away with just resting and, you know, throwing up some crazy trick pass every once in a while, because at least three other guys on the court on each team are actually setting the tone and actually setting the bar for what this game should be, which kind of brings me to the only thing I I think if you're going to fix the all-star game, it has to be at least partly intrinsic. I don't disagree with you on the money. I don't. I have no problem with adding some to it if that would actually help. The problem would be if you add that money and the result is the same, right? And I don't think it's fair to ask LeBron in his record 20th All-Star game to be the guy to set that tone anymore. I, I just don't think that that's... He shows up now on Sundays. It's closer and closer to tip-off. He leaves right after. What Victor Wembanyama said after the skills challenge that I mentioned... When Anthony Edwards saying, well, it's just fun and Victor is saying winning is fun, that needs to be put Victor and I'm not saying, oh, Victor is the savior of the All-Star game. It's not that simple, but I do think it's a start. I do think if you put someone in there who hates to lose just as much as they like to win and doesn't think of this game any differently, like those other guys at the true league, um, and I'm not comparing Victor to guys at the truly, League, just to be clear. But I do think you have to have that care factor because that at least – you can throw all these other things. The other thing I think is I think you should add some time off, right? I think that everyone else gets a week. When you're an All-Star, you end up getting two days. I'm fine if you want to make the All-Star break 10 days so the people who are actually at All-Star get seven days off because I talk to guys who – spent a day in Cabo, came to Indy, and then are going back for a day. And then they're like, well, damn, that's it. That's all we get. I I don't get to spend any time with my family. And that freaking sucks. It does. Um, No question. But I just think watching Victor actually care and getting a little bit peeved with Anthony Edwards for not caring, give me four or five of those guys. Because if if Trey Young does that on Victor, Victor's going to go get him back right and if victor goes and gets him back and someone else does something on ant Ant, these guys have pride these guys don't want to lose but you have to make them actually think that this is a game that's worth investing their competitive juices in and right now it's just not and that starts at the top and trickles on down
0: well it used to be worth it to them because they cared about like i want to be better than that guy it's like when the dream i was trying to think of equivalent like if kobe's right and the effort in the Rico Hines runs at UCLA is better than the effort in the all-star game. Then I was thinking like in what other environments that are not NBA games in in which there may be no financial stakes at all for players. Do they play harder than this? And it's hard to find an equivalent to the all-star game because you can talk about the pickup games. You just outlined that I thought about like the famous dream team scrimmages when they would scrimmage against each other and go at it because Mm -hmm. Charles Barkley wanted to to prove to Carl Malone, you're not the best power forward in the world. I'm the best power forward in the world. They weren't really playing for anything other than pride and competitiveness in those games. But there is a kind of like when it's when you're on the same team and you're breaking up for a scrimmage, there is a sort of iron sharpens iron element to like we're all making each other better because in the end we're on the same team playing for the same goal. That's a little bit discreet from what the all-star game is. I thought about team USA, like Paul George famously suffered a catastrophic injury playing for team USA, but that's playing for your country. Like that's a huge, huge honor. So it's not really equivalent either. It used and to just be, it used to just be because um, you wanted to prove you were the best guy. So my old man argument, number one is, is that and my old man ar- argument. Number two is it's true. You may not get paid directly from the all-star game in any sort of significant way for the players you are however kind of paid indirectly from it because everything that happens at all-star goes into basketball related income bri which is then split half and half and that's where your salary is devised out of and it's not only the direct revenue from all-star it's that if you continued, and I know ratings were up this year over last year for the All-Star game, but if you continue to just tank this game and it becomes a less significant thing and viewership declines over time, and not only that, like, I was watching with a buddy of mine. My wife popped in every now and then. I was getting texts from, like, casual fans who tuned in and don't really watch a lot of NBA. And the reaction from a lot of those people was, so I guess, uh oh, Zach, I guess – this is what people are talking about when they say nobody plays defense in the NBA, huh? Like, is this what the NBA is like? And I'm like, no, no, this is in a, a different universe from a real NBA game, but it just sort of creates this. It feeds into the perception that a lot of NBA games are not relevant in terms of effort and defense, which is not, I don't think accurate. Like most regular season games, there's a fair amount of defense being played, Mm -hmm. but there is a sort of long-term indirect cost to devaluing, The product in this way that may at some point have some kind of impact on players I don't know but you are getting paid indirectly from this that's my only that's my only other that's my old man argument
1: yeah I mean I'm just I'm just I'm, I'm envisioning you and Adam and Andre Godala explaining this to you know whoever the whoever this was explained to ahead of ahead of this all-star game you know well the 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 dividends of how you're gonna like i don't know that to me it has to be that's why i said the intrinsic piece maybe there needs to be a little brings back a couple of rivalries people who actually don't like each other and actually care about showing up the other person a little bit a little bit of hate sprinkled in because we don't have a whole lot of that like i i am not there are people who say give up make it the pro bowl make it that no, I,
0: I can't give yeah. up i can't that's how i opened it and i can't give camp. up this game used to be an awesome yeah. landmark event
1: yep
0: um and i can't give up on it so okay so i asked you like what's a what, what's your favorite fix give me a fix give me some i already proposed the elam ending i have another yeah. fix that i'm going to propose what what do you have an idea to make the game better
1: those my two fixes are get Wemby in it immediately and see if he can help set the tone and make the all-star break a little bit longer for players. I really do think that it does make a difference being able to spend a week with giving, obviously that means that non-all-stars get 10 days off, but I do think it it makes a difference uh, to be able to go somewhere with your family or to get treatment or whatever you need to do, because I think that that goes back to the, oh, don't get hurt, whatever. Um Because I I, I like the Elam ending. I think that's great, but I don't think just adding the Elam ending fixes it. I think you need to also add players who genuinely care.
0: So I'm ready. I'm ready now. I'm not ready for the right, whatever the new Rising Star, Panini Rising Stars presented by Panini, Panini Rising (laughs) Stars thing is with the tournament and all that. I'm not ready to go there yet. What I am ready for is let's just, let's try, because this is not working. Let's try U.S. versus the world. Let's try Ryder Cup, NBA, All-Star game. And the number one obstacle to that, I think, is it's unfair to American players who typically make up 18 to 20 of the All-Star slot. So if we're going to go 12 versus 12, (laughs) you're you're chipping away at the domestic All-Stars who still make up a majority of the NBA. So this is... I have never been an expand the rosters to 15 guy. I like that it's 12. I like that it's really hard to get in. I like that it forces voters and columnists like me to make painful, hard decisions and really dig into like, who do I think is actually a little better this year? But if we're going to expand it to 15, this is a way to do it. 15 American players versus 15 world players. And then I can get 30 all-stars and I can have a game like, I think that would actually be kind of cool. And I made... I made my fifteen man world roster. Would you like to hear it? Your fifteen man world roster. Yeah, because I added 50, I added three. All right. Yep. So I disqualified anybody who has international origins or citizenship or who whatever, but has played for Team USA
2: yep. in
0: international play. So Bankaro's out.
1: Yeah. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's
0: out, and I'm put I put Joel Embiid out. Because he is yeah, going to play for he Team will,
1: assuming he's healthy, play the summer. Okay.
0: So my starting five is Luca, Giannis, SGA, Jokic, and I and I put Jamal Murray as the fifth guy. Let's honor a champion, honor Jamal Murray who hasn't gotten yep. to the All Star game yet. That's a that's a hell of a starting five. Mm-hmm. Here's my bench,
1: mm-hmm. ten man bench. Yep.
0: In no particular order, just the order I wrote them down. Victor Wembanyama. Yep. Alperin Sengun.
1: Yep.
0: Franz Wagner. Mm-hmm. Cause we're going to need ball handling is you're going to yep. see the bid, the international stars trend towards centers. Yep. Low- Lowry, Lowry Mm-hmm. Christophs Porzingis. Yep. Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. bar. Gober. Pascal Siakam. And oh. then here's my next, my last three guys. Cause again, we have, we have five centers already on the roster. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Cause I just want a roving mm-hmm. shooter to, to have to go on a, a heater for five minutes and turn the okay. game. OG Ananobi. Yep. Because I want just, just come in and wreck with your defense, guard everybody, be, be the guy who's like, Oh God, this guy's going to be annoying and try in the all-star game and like guard me. I guess I have to play yep. be that guy. And just for some rim rattling awesomeness, Jonathan yep. Kaminga, yep. has represented the democratic Republic of the Congo in international play. That's my 15 man roster. Apologies to a bunch of people, but I, that's a real, that's like a real team. That's like a representative all-star yep. team. So this this is what I would do. This is my idea to save the All-Star game. What what is the, there's no argument to not trying this cuz what's working what's currently happening stinks.
1: Yeah. So we have a lot of the same. I did a 12 man roster because I was somewhat basing this in reality, so I had to Cuz that's
0: what I people. told you to do too. I yeah, cheated.
1: Yeah, you cheated. Um but since you cheated with 15 May I propose my? I made two for you, actually, Zach. I have okay. a radical. I have a radical roster, and it's a lot of. The, it's it's basically all the same guys, just having to make a couple of cuts. Um, I have a radical roster and a real roster, twelve man. Who would you like to hear first?
0: Uh, I don't even know what the radical roster means, so okay. I'm interested in. Is I just hope okay. it's. Is, I hope it makes no sense. So t- t- I want that.
1: All right, my radical roster is the biggest starting lineup that you have basically ever seen. Giannis, Shea, Wemby, Carl Anthony Towns, and I Rudy forgot Gover. about Cat.
0: I forgot about Cat. Dominican Republic. Oh, my God. So, Cat's yeah. in and…
1: <laughs> Kaminga?
0: Gobert, Gobert's out. Gobert's I'm out? bored of okay. Gobert. Gobert's outstanding. He, no, All Porzingis right. is out. Porzingis rests every third game anyway. He's out. Sorry, Carl.
1: My reserve pool on my radical roster, Alperin Shangoon, Sabonis, Jamal Murray. Oh, my God. I forgot Sabonis, too. Lowry Markkinen, Jonathan Kaminga, Franz Wagner, Porzingis, in no particular order.
0: All right. So Sabonis is in for me.
1: Now, have you noticed why this is a radical roster? Because my coaches are Jokic and Luka, because they are not good all-star players, Zach Lowe. They have admitted it. They are yeah, not they on the, like the All Star roster. Game. And they have said, I know they had 16 combined assists, but they had, like, in a 400-point game, you mentioned it. The The time of death was Luka's... Uh, performance in this all-star game. So they are the coaches bring me a cooler and some beers and let them chill on the sidelines and coach up this team. Um, Because I I also, I thought about Pascal Siakam. He's an excellent player. OG Ananobi was really, really tough to leave off of this very hypothetical made up list. But I was thinking about whose game to me translates to the all-star game and competition in the all-star game. And that is why as a, as a, radical roster I made this is the Jokic Luka coaching this team um I have a real roster that has them starting if you were interested but nah, that I is agree. my that is my punishment
0: so I would it. like to issue a formal apology to Domantas Sabonis yep Arvidas Sabonis who <laughs> frightens me the entire nation of Lithuania yeah because the reason I forgot about Domantas Sabonis is very simple I was being lazy and so I did a basketball reference search on their stat head <laughs> thing of Players who have played more than five min- 500 minutes this year born outside the United States. You can you can search for born outside yeah. the United States. demonte Sabonis was born in the United States, and so it did not come up on my search. And I totally blanked on him. He's in, and then I guess I just have to remove Bogdanovich because just – or Kaminga, one of those two. Oh, yeah, because um, you have
1: 15 guys. So. Yeah,
0: sorry. Sorry to everybody. What um, do you think
1: of my, Jokic, my Jokic-Luka joke? It's a joke, people, but <laughs> –
0: Yeah, I mean, they really do not. I mean, they just actively... It's not not
1: about playing. No, how about... about, No, I'm not letting them
0: off the hook. Get them in the game and freaking try. How about that? How about Jokic? Jokic (laughs) can just throw crazy passes the whole game. Well, that's the thing. You don't have to shoot at all. Just throw crazy Jokic passes
1: need an assist minimum. There should be, maybe there's individual incentives in our pretend all-star game that you know that there's, you know, bonuses that players get all year long for minutes played, this, that, and the other. Maybe there's all-star incentives. Maybe there's an incentive for how many assists that Nikola Jokic, you know, throws in a game. Um, But that is my, uh, that is my 12-man roster.
0: Okay, let's talk about Sabrina versus Steph. Okay. It was, was it amazing in the building?
1: It was incredible. It was the best part of the night. Um, I, I, I was joking when I signed off our interview with Steph and Sabrina afterwards, where I said to Sabrina, you know, thank you for putting the men's game on the map this weekend, um, but also not. It was the event of the weekend. We are constantly sort of thanking NBA players for showing up at WNBA events and and sitting courtside. And and that's important. Don't get me wrong that, but she took time to show up at all-star weekend. And of course there was a spotlight put on her and on the women's game. And that was excellent, but she caused the single best event alongside staff of the weekend. And it goes back to my point about the all-star game as much as Adam Silver and the league, couldn't want to say, oh, well, this was our idea and it was great and we should have done it. It's something that they wanted to do. It's something that they proposed doing, that it came up organically, that no one was going to hold back. And the fact that It came down to the last, whatever it was, money ball that Steph had to make in order to beat her by three points, but really it was one shot and her points added up to the same total that many of the guys ended up putting up. That's the game's winning score was 26. Sabrina's score was 26. There will always be, and you cannot change the minds of someone who is going to just sit there and say, well... She should have shot with the women from a, the women's three point line. And she shouldn't. Uh, the, the, this is just proves that it, the only thing that it proved was that this was awesome. I hope they run it back at WNBA All-Star Weekend and that there is another event, that there's another iteration of this. They're both from the Bay uh, and next year All-Star Weekend is in San Francisco. So possibly we could see something awesome there, particularly with the WNBA expanding to San Francisco next as well. I think that that would be a really awesome opportunity to highlight there. But I, I, I had a really cool vantage point of watching this. I was watching it with dame we were in the tunnel right after he would walked off and he was about to go do his press conference and i was standing there because he comes to do his interview with me after and you know the pr people are ushering him whatever and he's like wait no, no no are they shooting right now i'm standing and watching this like i'm staying and i'm i'm sorry to everyone who's waiting for me in the press conference but i am holding off on watching this event because everybody wanted to see it and You know, I'm not sure it's full-on Billie Jean King, Battle of the Sexes, anything like that. It's not for pay equality or any of those things, at least directly. But I just hope that people who were watching that this weekend came away thinking, what an awesome display of basketball. Not about men, not about women, not about this, that, or the other. Um, She said it best, if you can shoot, you can shoot. Doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy. And when she said that, it was just like, yes like this is this is a moment um that women's sports is having and event of the weekend run it back do it again make it two rounds please because i do think if she shot second you know maybe <laughs>
0: um it was the event of the weekend it was the only thing the non nba fans in my life were talking about about all star when is it what time is it going to be make sure you remind me to come watch it um it was and it, and it was so fun. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it was fun was they were both nervous and she was especially nervous. And you could tell when they did the little pre-interview thing, she was nervous because she had a lot at stake. There was like, she's up there representing women's basketball herself, her team in, in a place where there's going to be a segment of fans obnoxious as they are who are rooting for her to fail. And if she doesn't do well, that's going to become a story. Like, if Sabrina scores eight points and Steph scores 29, it's not going to look great. She had she had things to lose. He had things to lose, too, but she really had pressure on her. And she went first, and man, she delivered. When she made those first seven shots, I was on my couch, like, pumping my fist, Like, she is bringing the fire. And Steph's over there like, man, how many points am I going to have to score to win this thing? And I love that Steph treated her as she is like an equal not this was this was like he wanted to win he wanted to go out there there was no part of him that was like "Eh, nothing to say he wanted to win and she came out and was like you're gonna have to earn it and he went out and he took it and he earned it and it was awesome and just there was real tension and real stakes and Sabrina Inescu delivered I agree with you let's run it back in all different forms and by the way it doesn't just have to be like Caitlin Clark. It can be Kelsey Plum. Like there's a lot of great shooters in the WNBA, but I thought yeah. it was awesome. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it was equally awesome in person. It was
1: awesome. And I'm glad you brought up the stakes part because I think there's a difference between, and I'm not trying to dismiss anything for Steph, but individual stakes, the stakes of being teased or this or that or the other greatest shooter of all time. Did you have a bad night? But I, I do truly believe that Steph largely by that same swath of fans would be given the grace of an off night. And I don't think when you were representing not just yourself, but an entire gender um, and an entire movement pushing things forward, that that same grace would have been afforded to Sabrina. And so they were out on the court. I mean, before the three point contest began sort of sitting next to each other and chatting and you could just kind of see that this was important to both of them. I am I was nervous. I'm not going to lie for all of the reasons that you laid out because I knew um how ugly the rhetoric could get if it did not go well and that was something that scared and, me.
0: And by the way if it doesn't go well if it is 8 to 29 yeah. it's not happening again. Like no. that that's a one off.
1: So a door was opened. And like how often do you see that at at All-Star weekend um it, it was it was really cool
0: all right, we've saved all-star. I gave you one more homework assignment.
1: <laughs> yes, you did. And I
0: completed the same homework assignment, which was I want you to pick one team mm-hmm. that you find confounding mm-hmm. and that because you find them confounding, you are very curious and you will watch them even more closely than maybe any other team over the yep. next 30 games. And I said, please do not pick the Lakers or the Warriors.
1: Yep. Um, so my, my first one, the first time your text this morning, I was like, oh, the Milwaukee Bucks. But we talk a lot about the Bucks, so I have a we different do. team for you. Okay. I know they've been hurt. I know that's going to be a part of why they've been confusing, and I do think they fall into the category of the 76ers and the Knicks in that we need to wait till they're healthy, just a little bit more of a TBD than confusing. Um, but Zach Lowe, because I'm sitting in San Francisco right now, I'm going to go with a team just a little bit north, the Sacramento Kings. I'm going with the Sacramento Kings because they have the eighth hardest remaining schedule. And the best way that I can describe my being confuddled here is that on February 7th at home against the Pistons, they lost by 13. And then two days later, they beat the Nuggets by 29 points. That dichotomy is something that I feel like underscores just the yin and yang of their season the sort of back and forth that they've been on like I said I know that even you know De'Aaron Fox has kind of been nursing small knickknack injuries all season long Um, but this is a team that we talked about you know giving everything to the to the four-time champs in the first round last year up to a Steph Curry 50-point performance Uh, I expected this to be a little bit more you talk about needing to get your heart broken they could still make noise in the playoffs but they've been a little bit underwhelming for me this year. I think incredibly highly of of Sabonis, of De'Aaron Fox, really of Keegan Murray, of Mike Brown, of the entire team. Um, I'd like to see a little more from the Sacramento Kings. And so I'm putting a little bit of a, a pin in them for the second half of the season.
0: I like it. I think it's a good pick. I know a lot of their fans were very frustrated that they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. They have the Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes contracts. They have all their yep. picks but one. I have said I think I think the best thing they did was show restraint. I think the worst thing the Kings could have done was panic that they were not in the most linear, uh, obvious way possible building, quote-unquote, on last year's season. Oh, my God, we've got to make some crazy trade yeah. and throw our future out the window because we're determined to make the second round this year because we made the first round last year. The trend lines are still going up. It's It's not always like straight up. Sometimes you have little dips. The West got way better at the top, way healthier. Yep, and it's totally fine that they did nothing. I'm glad they did nothing. But yes, uh, and I picked a team right in there in that space in the standings because I think that race for five and six in the West is going to be enormously competitive and very very important to how the playoffs unfold. And and not only because the Lakers and the Warriors are sitting below that and would love to get there. I picked the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm who are currently 6th 33 and 22. They have the 8th best net rating in the NBA. They're 7 and 1 in their last eight games, mostly against bad teams. They fattened up on bad teams. One great win against the Clippers, great win. Zion looked incredible in that game. Um their only loss was kind of a bad loss to the Lakers in the following game in Los Angeles. Their next 15 games are like pretty manageable. So there's not a cliff coming schedule as they've played three more road games and home games. So they're in good shape there to the point that basketball reference playoff modeling gives them an 85% chance of being in the top six playoff I, status, which is another site I use gives them, it gives them a 61% chance of being anywhere from four to six. so probably like a 70 something chance of one to six. They're in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. They are 12th in offense and sixth in defense, I have no idea how they do this on defense every year because they start one good defensive player in Herb Jones, who's amazing. Part of the part of how they're doing it defensively is uh, they are allowing the second lowest three-point shooting percentage in the league, uh, which is a little bit lucky and especially lucky for them because only one team allows more three-point attempts. So there's a little yep. bit of luck there. Um, and they're just – they're fascinating to me because – you know, they tried to do a lot of stuff at the trade deadline. Like, the Hawks-Pelicans thing was not that, like, actionable, real. But they talked about, like, exchanges of guards and rim protectors. And the Pelicans know they need a rim protector. But, like, I just don't... They're just such a strange team because they, st- they have so many players whose games tilt so dramatically to one end of the floor. And... It's still unclear to me if their three best players fit like that that well together. They're minus 13 with McCollum Ingram and Zion on the floor minus 13 total for the season so about even um they've been amazing in any combination of their starters or Larry Nance for Jonas and Trey Murphy the third in Zion's place those those lineups are incredible and sometimes like even though their offense is awesome and Zion's playing more points Zion and playing really well it just sometimes looks clunky with Zion and a center and like Brandon Ingram's off in the corner or in Brandon Ingram has the ball, Zion's off in the corner. And it's like, what is it's, but then the aggregate is just kind of a good team. It just still feels like they're figuring out who should play with who and when and what combinations work. But there's a good team in here waiting to be unlocked. And if they take care of business, the next 15 games, they're going to make life very difficult for Dallas sacramento the lakers and the warriors to get into that top six if phoenix i i don't know what the latest update on bradley beal is and his hamstring but if they're healthy i think phoenix will be fine
1: right. getting
0: into the top six but the pelicans are still like a weird mystery box to me
1: well because so I, we were I, cj mccollum was on um our show from from all-star and he was talking about Zion and just how different this year has been for him in particular and how when we asked him about whether or not Zion actually cares, he said that a couple of years ago, he wouldn't have known how to answer that on national TV, but he feels like this year a, a true new leaf has been turned. But when you look at the top four, I, I really feel like the top four seeds in the West in some order, right? That feels right to me. That feels yep. like that's what we're going no to No one's
0: catching those at, guys.
1: Right. In April. Um that leaves really only two, two sure playoff spots then for all of those teams that you, we just mentioned that you just mentioned to compete for. It, it's hard to see a path for the golden state warriors, but they also have the like the third easiest remaining schedule or something to that effect. So um, the Mavs, the Kings, the Pelicans, the Warriors, the Lakers are all jockeying for two slots. And, health, any of these other things. Like this is, this is sort of the time. The the Pelicans were awesome through the turn of the calendar year last year. And that's when Zion got hurt. And then they, they started to struggle and came back down to earth a little bit. And then they found something um, without him and, you know, back and forth they go, but it just feels like those couple of teams are a losing streak an injury away from really sliding into needing to win at least two games to get into the playoff picture. And that's what makes that chunk of the West. Um, there is no room for error there really for any of those teams.
0: And to be clear, I think the is really good. Um, I love Hawkins. I kind of want him to play more. The Dyson Daniels injury is, is a bummer. He's one of the best defense players in the league on the perimeter. Um, and I believe in their core lineups, at least offensively. And I believe in Herb Jones, by the way, quietly shooting 41% on threes You've right been,
1: now. I, but you have been leading the Herb Jones you yeah, know, I didn't expect him to shoot 41% parade.
0: on threes. <laughs>
1: You've been leading that parade since you got into the league. You are the the grand marshal of of the Herb Jones parade.
0: It it just feels like I would like to see their best players mesh a little bit more cleanly on both well, ends stakes. of the floor.
1: Right. They're going to make some, they're gonna have to make some decisions on, on Brandon Ingram, on some of these other guys, you know, uh, pretty soon here. So the, this is the time to see how they're going to fit.
0: All right. It's time to end with we're going to introduce a new segment. Um, <laughs> and we're going to need a theme song for this segment, guys. And I'm going to need to work on my game show voice. Malika has an incredible game show voice that she uses on who said that every Friday, which I'm in a horrible slump on who said that on NBA. Today? I was in first and now I'm like in third. It's terrible. Um, We're going to call this and this, this, this derives from between segment, pre-show small talk with Malika about (laughs) non-NBA things. And she has an astonishing number of just horrible takes on (laughs) pop culture, on food, just like you'll say stuff and I'll be like, what? That is horrible. So this is Malika Andrews bad take of the month we're going to call it a month because a week is too a week a week is too ambitious we're not not going to get you on every week malika andrews bad take of the month on any subject matter give me a take and it's i guarantee it's going to be bad
1: it's not a bad take these are all excellent takes i don't i don't know what you're talking about um i don't think restaurants should serve dessert
0: like what kind of take is that
1: well here's the thing I eat my meal. Alone. I haven't even heard
0: this one. This is an original to me. I've never heard this one. This is
2: horrible.
1: You eat your meal and it's fantastic and I love it. And you go out and you're with your friends or your family and you eat this delicious, you have, maybe you had an appetizer and then you made, you had some soup and salad and then you had your meal because everything looks so good that you can't narrow down decisions and you're having a wonderful conversation and you get done and the waiter or waitress comes up and says, would you like dessert? And I do want dessert. I absolutely want dessert, but I never want it right now. I think that dessert should just be handed to you as you leave because the best place to eat dessert is an hour later after you've digested a little bit and you get into your pajamas and you're eating dessert on your couch. No one wants to eat dessert like in their dinner jacket, like formally. Everyone wants to eat dessert after they have digested a little bit and that they're relaxed on the couch with or without your, you know, sweatpants on. Like this is the way that you want to eat dessert. No one wants to eat dessert when they're already full from overeating in a restaurant.
0: This okay, is so, a very
1: reasonable thing.
0: So number one, please start making a list of your horrible takes because I've forgotten <laughs> some of them. N- number, number two, you want to take your personal preference and impose it on all diners so that they could not <laughs> sit and eat dessert if they want to eat dessert is your, just to be clear
1: no one no one wants to eat dessert right then and there no one everyone's like oh god how many times have you said i'm too stuffed for dessert I'm too I'm stuffed. Not, I, don't, I don't get this And dessert. then you feel shame when you're the one person who kind of wants dessert and everyone else is like, oh, no, I'm I'm, I'm not eating dessert this week. No. You See, this is this what is so my wife does. Thing. This is what
0: my wife does. I'm not a dessert person because I have a choice and in life. you are
1: the problem, Zach. Well, no. So we are sitting across from each other and I really want dessert. And Zach – they ask Zach first. And Zach says – no, thank you. And then I feel terrible thinking that I want dessert. So it should just be this covert thing that at the end of your meal, it's like, here you go. Here's your little dessert. Don't feel bad about it. Take it home. Don't let Zach Lowe make you feel less than because you want to eat a huge no piece of cake. No one's
0: a less than. Let's your take it decisions,
1: easy. You, your lack of dessert, I promise you that your lack of dessert is – Imposing on other people who actually wanted it and don't feel don't feel like they can they can order it now that you have gone first and set the tone set the bar of no dessert. So look, um, it,
0: when my metabolism changed in my late twenties, it was very clear to me that I had a choice in life a day to day choice or a meal to be a restaurant to restaurant meal choice, yeah. alcohol or dessert, not both.
1: I, always, I choose. I will always choose dessert. Can I choose I
0: have have alcohol. 10 times did. out of 10. I'll and give you one more. No, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay. But this is what my wife does with desserts. Yeah. She's like, I really want dessert, but will you split it for me? No, 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 no. If you want dessert, get dessert. Own your choice. I don't want a second spoon. I made this decision. Don't you want
1: dessert? That's on you. So if you were to have it to go, just no shame, completely removed from the situation. And then you get home, you eat half of your dessert. You put the other half in the fridge. Your your condescending. I don't want another spoon. Isn't even a part of the equation. Condescending? No, I
0: just don't want another spoon. I don't want, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want any part of the experience. Are you offering a bonus Malika's bad I'm take of the month? I'm
1: offering a bonus and this is a great take. It's not a bad take. Um, Bathroom attendants should always stand outside the bathroom. I don't need anybody. I want everyone to have, you know, wonderful employment. I think that that's awesome. Um, I don't need, I can get a paper towel myself. I don't need anybody standing in the bathroom, like at Staples Center, crypto, listening to everything that's happening and just standing there waiting to hand you a towel. I just don't. This is a solo time that people should have to themselves, and I just—I think they call it. Yeah, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm good on that. That—that that is very. I will very say
0: good. the when I when when I'm at games in LA, I am startled every single time that there's a bathroom attendant in a, in a media room. And wouldn't you prefer room, if someone bathroom? just was
1: outside in case? I, I guess I, I, I just. I just don't think. I mean, I feel like Larry David, but I just don't think that. Yeah, that's I, was,
0: I was about to say it's still Larry David esque uh, take right
1: here. I have. I, I gotta I think. I got.
0: I gotta think harder wrong. on this one. But I. But I want you to really start making a list of some of your food takes well, and I, your pop culture takes because some of them are just truly bad. Um, but like this bananas is are gross. Well, well, stop. Save it for the <laughs> next one. This is this has been Malika's awful take of the month. Uh, sponsor pending. Um,
1: you don't like sponsors? No panini by panini by panini.
0: We got a sponsor every second. Malika Andrews, the hostess, (laughs) the host of NBA Today, the point goddess of television, the one who makes us all look good on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I will see you on the show in a couple of days. Thank you for slumming it here in podcast world. And uh, I'll see you in Los Angeles next week too. We get to do it in person.
1: Never slumming it. Thanks, Zach.